0: If you were with us last week, you know that um, we've just begun a four-week series. We're, we're two weeks in on this series called Words Build a World. Um, and uh, last week we were exploring this big, big, big idea that is a very Jewish idea. And it's, a very, it's an idea written right throughout the Holy Scriptures. Um, the Scriptures that you can, uh, you can find in our Bible here that we follow and adhere to. Um, uh, the idea being this. Probably best summed up by Abraham Heschel, which is that words build worlds. Words create world worlds that our words and our speech actually have a power to them. They have a power much like a fire, a fire that can warm us and sustain life, and fire can equally burn us and destroy life. And so, words have got this inherent power. And so, as the followers of Jesus in in this place, in this community, we are looking. At how words can actually help to become a fire for us, that we can warm ourselves by, that we can have life sustained, and particularly as it looks like building one another up in community. So that's what we're actually doing. So we're diving into our second week. Um, uh, Next week, uh, uh, Ryan and Steph are going to help us explore particular ways that particular words can help us. This week, I'm going to kick us off with some encouraging words. Ryan's gonna be talking about creative words next week and Stephanie's gonna be talking about some healing words the week after. And so let's dive right in. Today we're looking at this aspect and use of words that seems to be all over the scriptures, particularly I find in the New Testament and in the letters and teachings of the, new, of the newly established community of, of the way of Jesus and the church. And over and over and over we hear this refrain. We hear a call to encourage one another. A call to encouragement. Let me just read some scriptures, um, particularly from the New Testament, to just sum this up. Hebrews ten twenty three. let us hold fast the confession of our, f- of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you do until that day draws near. And Ephesians four: Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear it. Galatians six: um, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. The Proverbs says, "Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad." Hebrews three, twelve says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be in." any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened. Acts fifteen talks about Judas and Silas um, in the early church as prophets, encouraging and strengthening the brothers with many words. And it goes on and on and on. I could keep reading Colossians 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. A lot of one another language, a lot of building up language, um, a lot of encouraging language. I could go on and on and on. I suppose the question is, well, what what, what is going on here in the New Testament Scriptures? We see all over the Scriptures words about building one another up, stirring one another up, knitting our hearts together in unity. Um, Clearly the Scriptures and the writer of the Scriptures, particularly those apostles, those early leaders of the the church, were keen for the church to do just that, to encourage to, and they were, they were keen to encourage the church and exhort the church, but they were also seemingly keen to command the church to do that too, to, 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 to build up one another, to encourage and exhort one another in this faith, this new faith of, of the community, of the way of Jesus. And so why so much encouragement, um, or sorry, why so much emphasis on encouragement and encouraging words? I suppose it's like they knew um, something about the nature of life and faith, um, something about the nature of life and faith that I hope most of us, if not all of us, will have discovered up until now that, well, really, this reality that life is actually hard. It's actually hard. That, that things actually don't work out the way that we always would like them to. That, that people actually can let us down. Sometimes people can walk all over us. Sometimes people can lay us on the altars of their own selfishness. Sometimes life is just a grind. Sometimes it's just wearisome. Sometimes we can waver and falter and become discouraged and disillusioned, perhaps, along the way. And I suppose as we grow older and hopefully more mature, we begin to realize that life is a bit like that. that childhood is all this raw potential, you know, teenage years are all this raw angst. I suppose, and as we begin to grow into life and become more experienced in life and have more agency in the world and begin to live out our dreams, I think slowly we begin to realize that not everything we would like to see happen actually does happen, and our plans go a little bit awry sometimes. And I suppose the cynics view of the world might be Alexander Pope's infamous beatitude, which is this, blessed is the man who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. And I suppose, yeah, by that mantra, uh, that means, I suppose, to live is to be disappointed. And as Jesus followers, surely this should not be our mantra. Please do hang in with me here because um, at this point you might be wondering why on earth have you come to church today to hear about how awful um, the disappointing life can be at times. But... um, I want to encourage you to hang in with me because although this is a sobering reflection to start out with, I do believe it's the type of thing we do need to engage with. I think, in fact, the church is the very place to engage with the reality of life. I think that it's the last place we should be avoiding the reality of life that sometimes life gives you lemons. Um, Is that not the phrase? Um, It can be disappointing. But we do this, of course, all in the great hope in the light of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, strangely, disappointment or difficulty or strife or weariness, sometimes they're just often indicators. Particularly disappointment can be an indicator that you're actually seeing the world correctly. You're actually seeing it right. Um, Richard Rohr, uh, he's a Franciscan monk, talks about these five consistent lessons that are essential for us to learn. If we're to be rightly aligned With reality, if we're to live in the real world, as some people might say, um, and the first of those five lessons, he just says this: is that life is life is hard. Life can be hard. Um, Another one is that uh, that we're not all we're not all all in control. That we're not in control. These are hard lessons, but they align us with reality, and they create some space for faith to come into. No one feels like they enjoy difficulty or disappointment. Um, It's Akin, I suppose, to sadness and loss. Um, ultimately, we're not designed for that. Of course we're not. But like all emotions, disappointment is a gauge, isn't it? It's a, it's a signpost to what we might perceive our lives to be and what we believe about our lives, what, in fact, we might even want from our lives. And I suppose when you're living in a broken world, sometimes believing and wanting the right things does lead us to be disappointed. Martin Luther King Um, He said that there can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. If we're to engage with love in the world, we are going to encounter times in our lives where it's difficult and we can be disappointed. As human beings, we're capable of experiencing disappointment because we're actually capable of having expectations. We're capable of dreaming. We're made to dream for better days. Every Manchester United fan knows this right now. We're made to dream for better days. Every dreaming teenager knows this. Every sleepless parent of a newborn knows this. Every young professional that's clawing for a career knows this. Every grieving person perhaps living in the reality of their shattered dreams or the loss of a loved one or any area of our lives where some ground has been stolen. We cast our minds, don't we, to a better reality to move around in in our imaginations. Or that are free from I suppose the most painful parts of the present time. And at times it might feel like not for all of us, but at certain times it can feel like we're living in a desert perhaps and we're imagining a garden. And maybe that's the place that you find yourself in today. It might not be, but it might be because we all go through this at different times in our lives. And there's a story from scripture I think really sums this up really well. The Bible speaks a lot about experiencing this type of reality. If, that's your, if you're coming into the room today and you're a little bit tired and weary, you're a little bit, perhaps you're feeling a little bit disillusioned with life or you're disappointed in some area of your life, well, the scriptures don't ignore that. In fact, the scriptures themselves speak fully of of the whole Christi- of the whole human experience. All throughout the scriptures, we see setbacks, we see letdowns, we see things not going to plan, we see betrayals and failures and expectations that aren't quite reached. For example, just think about Moses. He led the people out of the land of Egypt. From the Egyptian empire to a newfound freedom, he crossed the Red Sea and spent 40 years in the wilderness as they sought out the promised land that God had promised for them. And just as he was about to cross the threshold of the promised land, he was told that he would never get there. And he had to hand on his leadership to someone else, to Joshua. Just imagine that, 40 years in the wilderness, dreaming about the promised land and being so close yet so far within touching distance from a goal and then to have it withheld that things go a different direction there's so many examples i could have brought today about the reality of all this but one of the passages i want the, the one passage i want to focus in on today is one of my favorite passages it's full of hope for us today and it's in john 21 um, so i want you to turn to john 21 if you've got scriptures in front of you hopefully it will be on the screen behind us Before we actually read it, though, and as you're looking it up, I want to set the context for John 21. The story in John 21 centers on this one character, Simon Peter. You've heard of Simon Peter. If you've been around any kind of church community, you'll know about Peter. Um, He's one of the most famous leaders in the Christian church. Um, And at the time, Peter was the leader of this band of co-conspirators that were following Jesus. He was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. Along with the other disciples, he had spent 3 years of his life following this rabbi around Galilee and the whole area. And he came to know that this Jesus that he was following was slowly but surely he came to know This was the Messiah, the one that the Israel people, the Jewish people had been waiting for. And through these three years, Peter had experienced all sorts of life with his disciples and Jesus. They'd they'd witnessed countless miracles. They'd witnessed healings, teachings and sermons and manifestos, parables taught by Jesus. They'd eaten hundreds and hundreds of meals together. As disciples and with Jesus, they'd shared stories and dreams of what this kingdom of God, the expectations so high, what this kingdom of God would look like, what the, that the Messiah was about to bring. Three years of your, of your life, living and breathing this every day, it was all going so well. And at the beginning of the week that we actually now call the Passion Week or Jesus Passion, you know, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, there was a the feeling of anticipation that the Messiah's homecoming was actually real, like a taste that it was about to happen. And Peter, and Peter, along with all the other disciples, would have been thinking, this is it, finally, three years of following Jesus. People think we're crazy. We've given up our, our fishing. We've given up our other employment. We've been following Jesus. People are going to see Who Jesus is, the way we've seen who Jesus is. He's going to come right to the center of the Jewish world, right to the center of of that world, and he's going to overthrow the rulers of the empire. That's the anticipation. Everything that the prophets and the teachers had taught for centuries and centuries about the Messiah, that God was going to come and rule again, it was going to come and make peace on the earth, and that it was going to be the way it was intended they thought they were on the cusp of that. Well, so they thought. And of course, as we know that, the Passion Week, the week before eight that we mark at Easter was just a week of disappointment followed by disappointment, followed by letdown, by letdown. From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. He was mocked by the crowds, even the own, his own, the own Jewish people. He, as a Jew, his own people, called him a blasphemer, and he was thrown around in a kangaroo court with no defence, sentenced, beaten within an inch of his life, trailed outside the city, and subjected to the Roman Empire's death row execution of crucifixion, and all the hopes over gone three years of following this Jesus of Nazareth and for what in the midst of it all Jesus followers had scattered some of them betrayed him this band of merry men who'd and women who'd been so tight scattered some of them completely turning their backs on Jesus betraying him few stood by him but they were distraught and of course Peter he's the leader of this apparent uprising of God. He finds himself standing by a charcoal fire the night that Jesus was arrested. And we know the story, don't we? That Peter, just like Jesus had predicted, denied that he was ever associated with Jesus. He denied his Lord and his master. He betrayed his best friend. And in the days that followed, the dream was over. Jesus was crucified. Fast forward a week or two later, And we find ourselves in John 21. Let's just, it's a special piece of scripture. As we know, in that time, Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd appeared to his disciples. The dream wasn't over, it seemed. But the future seemed so uncertain. Jesus was alive, the dream was back on. But can you imagine Peter's feelings? Ecstatic that actually what was the lowest low, that Jesus has risen, he's beginning to appear to his disciples. Confused though about what it all meant because it didn't take the shape of someone claiming a throne, overthrowing the the rulers and leading his people into a, a newfound utopia, a newfound kingdom. Confused and weighed down by the burden and the confusion of what it all meant the burden of his own failure and the disappointment, perhaps even in himself. And now he was going to have to come face to face with his friend, his master, his Lord, and Jesus. Was Jesus disappointed in him? I'm sure Jesus himself experienced all sorts of disappointment in the week that led up to his death. But there was only one thing on Jesus' mind, in John 21, at this point, we're about to read. It was Peter's own disappointment. That's what Jesus was thinking about. Jesus is appearing to the disciples, and the context we find ourselves is again around, interestingly, a charcoal fire. Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach for his disciples. And I'm going to read from verse 15. It says this, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him in the third, Simon, This was to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. This is actually one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's beautiful. Here we have Jesus cooking breakfast by a charcoal fire for his disciples. Meeting Peter in all of his guilt, in all of his shame, in all of his disillusionment, in all of his disappointment. And Jesus comes with food and he comes with words of love and grace and words of encouragement. And he completely turns Peter's life around. He restores Peter's spiritual equilibrium in this encounter with these words. The one whom Jesus had called the rock on which I will build the church is told three times, three times like he denied Jesus three times. Jesus then returns that in this encounter three times, feed my sheep and follow me. One sentence at a time, Jesus builds Peter back up again. It is truly a remarkable encounter. And we know from this side of history, of course, Peter went on to become one of the most significant and important leaders in the early church, overseeing growth and expansion of this movement of Jesus, followers from Jerusalem to the ends of the empire before he himself, as it was spoken about in this passage, was crucified as a martyr. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep, follow me. Jesus was reminding Peter of his identity, of who he was, of who he was made to be, and of his calling, of his purpose in life. When I think about disappointment and disillusionment and failure, I think about Peter. And when I think about words that turn someone's life around from disappointment and failure, I think about this encounter with Jesus on the beach and these words of life and encouragement to Peter on that beach, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. Peter was expecting, well, what was Peter expecting? We don't know, but can you imagine? So disappointed in himself, so disillusioned with how it all went down, excited that the game was back on, that Jesus had risen, of course, Filled with faith, I'm sure, but confused about himself and his own role in all of it and what the past meant for this future. If there's thing that teaches us that disappointment is not the final word in your story, in our story, in my story, it's this story about Simon Peter. These verses that we've been reading about speak about the power of better words, words that foster life. Words that build up, words that transform, words that bring grace and love and hope and destiny. And they speak them right into the heart and into the mess of other people's disappointment. The Christian hope redeemer is the disappointment. Even if that's your lived reality today, if despair is your lived reality, if disillusionment, if weariness, if difficulty in life, those are not the final words. The Christian hope is that things will get better, that things are getting better, and that God in Christ is putting this world back together, piece by piece, putting us back together, piece by piece, word by word. One day, Redeemer, this project will complete, and the peace and shalom of the kingdom of God will reign And I will share this verse from Romans 8.28, which sometimes is so difficult to understand. But for those that love God, all things do work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Life can be difficult and hard and we're fooling ourselves, of course, if we don't learn that lesson and align ourselves with reality. But as we see in the life of Jesus himself, And his journey to the cross, as we see in the life of Simon Peter and this encounter, we can speak life and turn around circumstances where disappointment looms over someone's story as the final word. And so it's into these circumstances that we, the church, us, here even in this room, in this community, can follow Jesus' example. And we can remind ourselves and remind each other of our identities and the story that we're part of and minister grace to one another. Words of life, words of encouragement into the hearts of brothers and sisters. The church is a family, we're brothers and sisters and we are called and modeled out by Jesus. We're given an example of how we speak life. To one another. Several many years ago, I found myself in the midst of one of these seasons of profound disappointment and letdown. And I was experiencing so many emotions around that anger, sadness, hopelessness, powerlessness but most of all, disappointment on so many levels. I was disappointed in myself, I was disappointed in others, friends that had let me down, betrayed me, had left me. Had, I was feeling sad and heartbroken about the mess of life and my situation that I found myself and I was, I was honestly, and I'm not kidding, ready to quit ministry, the church, my faith, I was ready to quit on God, to be honest. I was done. And a friend came and spoke words of life into my life. He was staying with me. He's our church leader. He leads a church in England. He was hanging out with me. I shared what was going on in my life, the story, how I'd been so let down by people, particularly one person How I felt like quitting. How the years of praying and receiving words about what the future might look like and about what ministry might look like and all of that just seemed wasted. It seemed like a waste to me, and that's just where I was at. Might not have been the full story or the reality. It was how I was experiencing it. And he turned to me and he said, "David, I." this is my friend, turned to me and he said this, David, I feel like Jesus would want to remind you that you're not called to follow anyone else. You're not called to follow those people that let you down. You're not called to follow the people that you've put faith in that have let you down. You're called to follow Jesus. Forget them, follow me, no one else. And they were enough Those words were encouraging to me because they were speaking right into the particular situation I was in. They burned deep in my heart and they breathed life back into me. And my friend said, David, you're not following him, you're following me. I, Jesus, am the one that you're following. Look to me. I am the one that died to rescue you, to redeem you. Don't worry about them or what's going to happen next follow me, you can trust me. I am the good shepherd, the one you can trust. And my friend, he, he actually quoted John 21. We haven't got to this bit yet. Verse 21, if you fast forward, you'll see that the story on the beach that we've been talking about this morning doesn't finish with those words, feed my sheep. It actually goes on. And I want to read it very quickly in verse 20 to 22. It says, Peter turned on the beach and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John. John's actually writing this about himself. That's the funny joke about that. John's writing that he's the one that Jesus loved. It's hilarious. Um, anyway, the one that Jesus loved. When, G- when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? You follow me. These, this, was the, this was the passage of scripture that, m- that my friend was thinking about and sharing with me and speaking into my life when I found myself just in this season of profound disappointment and disillusionment not knowing what next, not knowing what to do next. This is what he said to me. He said, don't f- worry about them, about him, about her. Follow me. See, I think it's, when life discourages us and and people let us down and situations don't work out the the way that we had hoped, I suppose that's the thing that should kick in when you're part of a community of the way of Jesus, that brothers and sisters can speak words of life into your life, encourage one another. And and so I want to propose today, Redeemer, that we, we think about that in this season that we're in in 2019, that we become a community and that that foster an environment that's build other worlds with our words not just conceptually but directly into the hearts of people's mess people that God puts on your heart that gives you a, an encouraging word for them speak it out encourage them 1st Thessalonians says therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Where the message says, Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be in this together. No one will be left out. No one will be left behind. I know you're already doing this. Keep it up. Sort of like that from from Eugene Peterson. Followers of the way of Jesus should be people that create environments of life. Not fantasy or denial of reality, but in the face of reality, the church should be a household of God that builds one another up that one another's each other selflessly with words of affirmation. And so Redeemer, in this community, I want to encourage us to do that. That's simply my talk today. That's the point. That's the takeaway. In this room today, there will be people who need a word of encouragement. It doesn't need to be super spiritual. It just needs to be encouraging, life-giving, true. Affirm them with a truth, truth-filled word. But maybe there are some of you in this room who are gifted, perhaps with a gift of encouragement, like we're taught about in Ephesians. I want to encourage you to use your gift that you are going to bring precisely shaped, spirit-shaped words, very specifically into the lives of other people. I want to release you to do that. Do that among one another, so that together we can be a community that builds one another up holds one another up, spurs one another on. Here's what one writer says. When God's people lovingly encourage one another with Christ-exalting words and deeds, the gospel is not only clarified but amplified. Even more profoundly, God is glorified as his family enjoys a home where seldom is heard a discouraging word. I'd love us to, I'd love us to stand We're going to bring our worship today together at the table, which we do every week, where there's bread and wine, crackers and juice that symbolize the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But I want to encourage you as we come to the table of Christ, which is for one and all, if you have faith in Christ or would like to have a relationship with Jesus, please do come. Come. If you come today and you find yourself in that particular season, perhaps you're like Simon Peter. You're a little bit weary or disappointed. Perhaps today it really is that you're just finding things difficult. It's not that you're necessarily disappointed in anyone. Or perhaps that is exactly where you're at, that actually it's very specifically that you feel let down by life or by others, whatever it may be. I want to encourage you, come to the table. When life feels like death, when life feels like it's let us down, the very point of the spirit of God is to intersect with our brokenness and breathe a life on us that transforms us and brings resurrection. As Simone Weil says, grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there is a void to receive it. And it is grace itself which makes this void. I'd love to invite the band up um, to lead us as we break bread together. Redeemer, as Martin Luther says, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Redeemer, our ultimate home today is in Jesus, the wounded yet risen one. And it's because of him that we have life and newness and things can and will get better we have the one whom will never let us down will never leave us will never betray us and he is faithful to build us up into new life i want to invite you to come today and receive life at the table as we break bread as we celebrated the, celebrate the wounded and the risen one